Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? Two-thirds of Americans want stricter gun laws. As it turns out, none of us wants to worry that a trip to the shop right for eggs and milk might be the last thing we ever do. None of us wants to skip a 4th of July parade with the kids for fear of being shot. None of us wants to have to memorize our kids' outfit in case we have to identify their body later. We aren't asking to move heaven and earth. We aren't coming for Sally's Second Amendment side piece. We want an assault rifle ban. We want red flag laws, safe storage laws, reasonable shit for a civil society. But Republican lawmakers sucking at the tainted teat of the NRA, they don't give a shit. They're too busy getting those sweet, sweet dollars to care about what their constituents want, to truly care about the human cost of their avarice. And anyway, there's big business in keeping us safe where we shouldn't have to worry about being safe. More guns, more locks, more drills, more, more, more. The security alarm of business alone brings in $25 billion a year. And enough is enough. You can't go to a bowling alley, to a restaurant, to work, to the mall, to a grocery store, to your church, to the movies, or the bank. You can't attend a concert, go to a dance class, or go to see your doctor. You can't ring a doorbell, use a leaf blower, hop in a car, pull down a driveway, bounce a ball, or ask your neighbor to keep it down. You can't check out a farmer's market or pick up a package at the post office or go to a 4th of July parade and you certainly can't send your kids to school without worrying that someone will get shot, that someone you love will get shot or that you will get shot. This is where we are now. This is not normal and it's not okay. This is the upside down. And this reality is being imposed upon us by those who equate firearms with freedom. This is anything but freedom. And this is not a reality we have to accept. It's not the pot, the porn, or the video games. It's not too many doors, too few doors, the gender identity of the shooter, or the lack of good guys with guns. Dozens of people in Maine are dead right now for one reason. It's the guns. It's the guns. It's the goddamn guns. My guest on this episode is Noel Kassler. Noel's best known for his outspoken commentary on Twitter, the X and unveiling truths in his weekly car rants about his 25 years of experience behind the scenes in live television and in the music industry. Noel spent six seasons working directly with the Trump family on The Celebrity Apprentice and toured with many musicians such as Bruce Springsteen, The Rolling Stones, Crosby, Stills & Nash, and many others. These experiences inform and guide his work as a stand-up comedian, giving him a unique perspective and many first-hand stories to draw upon making his humor both captivating and hilarious. Noel's tweets and car rants are often cited by Joy Reid on MSNBC and various other news programs. Videos of his stand-up routines have reached millions, especially his revelations about working with the Trump family. Noel's a frequent guest on various CS, Sirius XM and iHeartRadio podcasts, and in 2021 decided to officially launch his own aptly named podcast, The Noel Kastler Podcast. We talk about the mass shooting in Maine in this conversation. It was our country's 565th mass shooting this year. We talk about the new psycho speaker, Mike Johnson. And we talk about Donald Trump. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. 
Welcome to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, Noel Kassler. Hey, bud, how are you? Or should I say fellow DNC paid shill friend of mine? Exactly. Fellow, fellow paid influencer. Yeah. Good Welcome. To Good to see you too. I love a fireplace. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hand handmade with all these stones. I didn't make Amazing. it, but yeah. Amazing. So how are you? I'm well. It's been a year. We were down at the White House a year ago, and that was like, you know, such a magic. And of course, the right used the photo we all took to call us paid influencers. Nothing could be further from the truth. And, you know, we weren't there for campaign purposes. We were there you know, to get the same information that like journalists get daily readouts and stuff. We were simply there because they're trying to be open about what they're sharing and who they're sharing with. I was very impressed by them, you know, and by, you know, th those of us that showed up on their own dime and on their own time to hand ahead of the midterms. And I think we made a difference. So hold your head up high on that one. I mean, they are saying that incre increasingly, you know, people are getting their information, which is, it's a double-edged sword from, you know, people on platforms like, like X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, from social media influencers, if you want to use that name, that term. And to your point with what I was so impressed by, when you come from a, an administration that had had the RNC at the White House, which is just like insane, you had the people who were talking to us saying, look, we can't go into that. That's campaign side. That's a Hatch Act violation. We are not doing that. We are just giving you facts. It was so clear that they understood and respected that that difference, that line. And it's it's wildly ironic to me that, you know, Trump used the White House like it was his own personal, you know, campaign tool. And we get criticized for going to an event, like you said, like the press, getting information that was factual and being able to disseminate that information to the people who trust us and, you know, believe that we have vetted what we're saying. And I, and I think that's an important distinction. That is absolutely what we experienced there. Absolutely. And they wanted to make sure we had accurate information, right? They right. didn't, they knew we were already on their side, right? Yeah. We were invited there because they could see we're, you know, we're, we're pro-Democrat sort of progressive people, but they wanted us to have accurate information, you know, and accurate information doesn't always serve them. Trump had Bill Stepien working for him in the White yeah. House, you know, the head of Fox News. Trump didn't care if you were fake news, false information out to the public, if it would benefit him and, and Democrats, you know, they're the opposite of that. You know, I, I was very impressed with them. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest distinctions about us in terms of that, like adults in the room that, you know, often they are the loudest in the room, but what we have on our side is the truth and facts. And at the end of the day, I do believe that accurate information is the, is the most powerful weapon in our entire arsenal. Absolutely. The truth is what sets us all free. You know, the, the, you know, the greatest disinfectant is sunlight. And a lot of what we're suffering from in this country right now is misinformation, is people manipulating others, you know, to make a buck off them or to keep them stupid so they can control them easier. You know, that's pretty much the MO of the modern party. Yeah. You know, they want to keep these guys full of fear and full of xenophobia and homophobia and all the other beats they're peddling because then those people won't see who's really screwing them over. You know, right. the Koch brothers and the Harlan Crows that are buying up the courts, you know, right. and, and the Donald Trumps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, we saw an example of that last night, right? You know, nobody knew what was going on with this awful shooting, mm -hmm. right? There was, at first it was 22, you know, it's, it, it's horrific any way you look at it. I have a friend who's from that town. I've known her for a long time. She's a nurse in that town. She grew up with the shooter. Her mom was like best friends with that shooter's mom. Like that's how small that area is. And her 15 year old brother would have been in the bowling alley last night because he usually went on Wednesday night. And the only reason he wasn't there was because like the mom had a Zumba class and they just happened to not go. But she, she knew that that bar and that bowling alley, like where all the people were. Oh my God. You know, that's, that's where he could have found a crowd on those nights. And unfortunately, and sadly he did. And she, you know, it was obviously on purpose and he was targeting them, but you know, she, she knew that information. Like she knew right away. Cause I just reached out to her on Facebook when it was happening, you know, but mm -hmm. I wasn't going to share that inside information right. you know, as it was breaking last night. And I was surprised that CNN and others were, were giving out, you know, Wrong totals. Numbers. 
victims, right, without knowing the facts, because it's like it's always a mess. We saw that on a grander scale with the, you know, Israeli-Palestinian, but then the terrorist attacks perpetrated, you know, and then we had instant misinformation on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, that's one of those double-edged swords, right? So you're not getting your news from vetted and trusted news sources as much anymore. People aren't conventionally get going to those conventional news sources. And so you're right. I mean, and I I personally waited till I had seen CNN vet it. And I was thought, well, okay, that seems legitimate enough. And then I shared that information. And of course, like you said, it wasn't actually accurate. There was all the chaos. Um, and, and there's a lot of, lot of chaotic things to talk about. We're going to touch on the speaker. We're going to talk a little bit about Trump, but I did want to start with this shooting actually um because as it stands right now um last night in in maine in a small town lewiston right it's a town in yeah. maine um a suspect is still on the on the loose um who shot and killed at least 18 this is the number i think we most recently have and injured more than a dozen so around 13 and this is the 565th mass shooting in this country this year and what we've seen is Republicans have actually moved away even from just thoughts and prayers. They don't even respond anymore. It's like a meh, what, you know, uh, whatever. And I just overwhelmingly, I think the statistics bear this out. Americans do support reasonable gun legislation. A lot of Americans support an assault weapons ban. It looked like an assault weapon to me that he was holding. I don't know that much about guns. He's also a member of the military. And I think there's some maybe in like non-factual things about him being a firearms instructor, but he knows what he's doing with a rifle like that. And and so my question, I guess, is like, how did we get to this place, obviously, where after Sandy Hook, nothing changed, after Parkland, nothing changed, after Uvalde, nothing changed, and now we have a, a mass shooting in Maine, and and nothing, nothing is going to change. Republicans are not going to change. They still think it's their God-given right to have a weapon of war. So So how do we get here? What do we do? How do we get out of here? It's difficult. Well, first of all, we need leadership from the top down, and that starts with President Biden continuing to ask for an assault weapons ban, which I'm sure he'll bring up in the coming weeks, you know, and hopefully after the next election, we could get Hakeem Jeffries in at the House and we can reelect President Biden, and then we could make actual progress because, you know, this is an issue minutes from Sandy Hook, you know, like this is an, if there's any issue I've been involved with politically, it's this one because it just hits home. Friend was at Bataclan. Her boyfriend died in her arms. He was the merch guy for the band. Like, I still talked to her. I had to give a deposition, you know, in a lawsuit that she has. And, you know, my I had a friend on the stage at the shooting in Las Vegas. I worked in the music business and the live TV for a long time, if your viewers don't know, listeners. But uh, I'm, I'm an industry that gets affected by that. I had a buddy who was ducking for cover on the stage, you know, in, in Las Vegas and other friends behind cars and stuff. So, and and it's completely, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, I talked to gun owner, I grew up in, or at least my high school years in Putnam Valley, which is like, you know, Putnam County, New York. It's not far from where I live now. It's kind of deer hunting, you know, working class, middle class, lots of cops and contractors and dudes with a lot of C's and Z's last names <laughs> and O's and apostrophes, you know, the same stock I'm from, you know, yeah. people that emigrated to this country, a couple, few gen ago and made it out into the suburbs. And what I've noticed in that demographic since the 80s, Reagan and then Fox News coming on in the 90s, was that they get pumped full of this fear. And the NRA exacerbates it, profits off it, and makes them feel like if they don't have a high-powered rifle in their home, they're somehow at risk. Nothing could further from the truth, you know? As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I have, t on the flip side of that, I have tons of friends in law enforcement. Given what I did in live TV and the the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center every year and the ball drop in Times Square, like the Super Bowl, half of my job involved dealing with police and security that were protecting us. And I, you know, I, I worked all through 9-11, you know, I've been doing it since 93. So I've been in a lot of huge events where 
you know, police and law enforcement to protect us. So I have a lot of friends in this field, and none of those guys want people walking around with high-powered assault weapons. There's a place for those weapons of war on American streets, and even the people I know you know, that are pro-gun, that want to have the nine millimeter, you know, by their bed or whatever the thing is, even those guys are like, yeah, I don't see why anybody should be able to buy, you know, a high caliber weapon with, you know, a large capacity magazine. That's just insanity. I'll shut up here in a second. But one argument I like to make is like, they sell that under the guise of toxic masculinity. Yeah. It's like Don Jr. is, you know, after the Hamas attacks on Israel, he said, "Every this is why everybody should have an AR-15. One of the most irresponsible statements coming out of, you know, an imbecile of a human being. <laughs> but like to say that, and no, it's the opposite of that, you know. And, but even that tough guy, I can't, I that gets sold to these people, they don't have it in, England and Scotland mm-hmm. and Australia mm-hmm. dudes don't have these guns. And I those tough guys up against American tough guy any freaking day of the week. You know, right. they'd be like, mate, why do you need that? Let's just, <laughs> let's That's just duke it out. this is a noise. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But right. it's true, you know, like if so we have to address that because a lot of what we're facing is a cultural issue. I mm-hmm. think that's what people fail to recognize. You know, it's have the facts and get them out there. But the other side isn't paying attention to facts. They're paying attention to feelings and they're being catered to. They drive through their small towns and there's an American flag on every flagpole and a veteran's picture, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. A little more nefarious things behind it because it's meant to reinforce the sort of back the blue, you know, law and order republicanism stuff which is complete bs right the head of the party's on trial in five separate cases now right. or about you know yeah. no i mean i think this idea of like this um toxic masculinity is just part of i often describe it as this whole thing as like this sea monster with multiple tentacles like more many many tentacles and one of the big tentacles is fear right so that that's one of the things where they, they get you afraid what, what like don jr with hamas is now coming for you and then you, right. you add the other tentacle which is while well, hamas is coming for you what are you going to do you need to get a gun and not just a gun an ar-15 and he mentioned i just tweeted about this right before we got on actually he mentioned an ar-15 almost every day in the immediate wake of hamas's attack where it was like he couldn't stop and i kept commenting like Geez, you're really pushing this. But what that's what they're doing is they're priming and poking and prodding. And you have the other tentacle, which is xenophobia and hatred and intolerance. And then they, them, the other people, those people who are coming for your insert, the variable, whatever it is, it's an existential crisis or threat to you. So you have to be afraid. You have to hate others but just based on whatever they tell you to hate them for, they have to be a threat to you, obviously. And then you have to go and arm yourself, but not just arm yourself, arm yourself with a weapon that will liquefy a human body that was designed exclusively for war. It was not designed for any constructive purpose. It was designed for war. And what gets so lost in this argument about guns is that I don't think most people I know, a reasonable people I know, are saying we want to take everyone's guns away from everyone. We want reasonable gun ownership. We're not, you know, it's your, it is your right to have a, you know, firearm or well kept, you know, gun of some kind. But we don't think overwhelmingly that anyone needs an AR-15. You know, this seems like a no-brainer to me. And yet their argument is, I can have one just because. I can have one because God said I could. And you don't even know what an assault rifle is. That's their other one. Exactly. Right. Do you even know what AR stands for? It stands for (laughs) And I don't care what it stands for. I know what it was invented for. And it was to shoot through Bush in Southeast Asia and human being and make it so they can't get back up again. You know, that's what the M16, which is the original, you know, weapon that all these modern things are are based on. That's what it was for, because the M1 carbines or whatever the heck we were using in World War II weren't effective in Vietnam because the bush, you know, the jungle was so thick that they weren't able to, like, be lethal enough, you know. And and, and in war, that makes sense. Not that that war made any sense, but that's what it's for. It doesn't be in a classroom. You know, I was working on a stone store in Newark, where you're from, Jersey, when Sandy Hook happened and we had a day off. And the next day we had Lady Gaga and Springsteen sitting in with the stones. And I was like, stop the world. Like, why are we even doing a concert? 
Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was so, that was so beyond the pale. I know first responders in Sandy Hook that had to go to that classroom and, you know, I won't get into that, but you, you know, we can imagine it's like you said, that the damage is inhumane, completely outsized from, from any potential threat. You can defend yourself with a six shooter. You know, like with a good old revolver or a shotgun or anything like that. And nobody's coming to take that stuff from you, which is obviously another lie yeah. they use to promote the the fear. So it's an excellent point you made. And and I'll just say that the shooter had also liked a bunch of Don Jr.'s tweets yeah. regarding AR-15s. And this friend of mine who grew up with him, the point to make about that is that he was homegrown, right? This wasn't an outside terrorist coming in to attack them. This is somebody she with as a kid. And, and this is somebody that I argued with because she was right wing and we're like Facebook friends and stuff. And I'm obviously very lefty and, you know, <laughs> I'm not really guns anyway. Like I'll let you have them, but you know, yeah, I'm same. a true hugger. And uh, yeah. that more military mindset. And what I was always trying to say to people is that even the conservative people is the reasons you don't these guns in your community is because this is what's going to happen. You know, mental, I don't even want to say mental illness because I'm mental. like, I, I have anxiety. I'm in recovery. Like, you know, there's no shame mm -hmm. in, in dealing with your mental hygiene. So that term can be off-putting, but my point is people can become so violently deranged, especially now with social media exacerbates those fears it's like adding steroids to this you don't want the ability for somebody to snap and do damage in such a short period of time it's an obvious point to make but right. apparently it has to keep being made because it keeps happening because it's by design i mean something that i can't stop thinking about is this idea that this is a reality that we are being that's being imposed upon us one that's being forced upon us when which we have to keep refusing to accept because like as a mom for instance my kids are 10 and 14 um ever since sandy hook uh, when my son was here my daughter wasn't here yet but ever since then the first day of school to this day today when i drop my kids off i think remember what they're wearing, memorize their outfits. This is my reality. And the reason I do that is because I remember learning and the wake of Sandy Hook. And, and it, as you said, you know, you spoke to first responders. I remember learning that oh, some of those parents couldn't identify their children by anything but what they were wearing. And we learned that again in Uvalde. Um, and so this is a reality that a gun like that, a weapon like that can can do such damage to a body that a parent can't recognize their child. So as a parent now, my reality is I have to memorize my kids' clothes so that, God forbid, I had to go, you know, identify them. I drop I drop them off and I study them walking away from my car because I'm like, breathe, 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 it's okay. And yeah, I probably think about this more or at least more frequently than some parents do. I don't know that that's true, but it's a reality that they want to continue to impose upon us because it creates this space where they can seize control because I'm afraid. I'm afraid a lot. And when you're afraid, they think they can manipulate behavior and choices and, and they can. So they want to do this by design, create this false reality where we have to accept more guns in society, armed teachers, you know, like that more guns is clearly not the answer, but they want it to be the answer because in that space, they can seize control. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, fear sells. And and it's horrific that you have to think that way when you're sending a kid to school. You know, when I go to a concert now, I put on like, you know, a mesh tactical belt because I'm like, well, I can use this as a tourniquet in case there's a mass shooting. Like the fact that that thought is even in my brain, you know, but it that's where we're heading in America. You know, it's almost like we're all we all have a mass shooting out there with our name on it, God forbid, but it's like it's coming to every town. You know, I live in a bucolic little town. I, I drive by the high school. I'm like, that looks exactly like Columbine or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like and that was my true watershed moment, you know, and uh, with this issue. And, you know, it's just it's so disheartening. It's like you said, it's the fear. The cycle of fear only helps Republicans. Exactly. Right. You know, after we, you know, there's been umpteen doctors, but after Sandy Hook, there was an uptick in sales of these kind of weapons because the NRA constantly goes, oh, well, now you need to go buy one. But look at Texas. You know, Texas can be a microcosm for this whole thing, right? Because they had every tough guy in the world armed to the hilt, and none of them ran in and stopped the shooter in Evalde. They all stood outside, not knowing what to do. 
and yeah. fear and and the paralysis of 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 horror because if somebody's intent on doing damage you can't really stop them until it's too late that's why you don't have the mechanisms to commit those kind of crimes right i mean it's funny because one of these small victories i had recently was my son he's in eighth grade and his social studies teacher mentioned that the second amendment wasn't written to reflect the weapons of war we have now it was it was those were you know guns that took i don't know what the statistic is but each whatever they're called, the round or musket or whatever, they took multiple minutes to load, I think. So you couldn't walk into anywhere and you create mass carnage in a matter of seconds. I mean, there was a nightclub in Ohio. I remember this statistic was like 10 people in 43 seconds. I mean, these are the kinds of numbers where you're like, that's not fathomable, but that's not what the you know the the, the founders had in mind. It is not what they were envisioning. It's so it's 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 and it's not reflective of reality to make the argument that the Second Amendment covers these weapons. It just it's just it's not. Well said, and you know I'll take it one further. The Second Amendment was meant to appease Patrick Henry, right? Mm-hmm. It was a wealth land over from Virginia on a sign off on the Pennsylvania Treaty or whatever because the Congress because. He was worried about a slave revolt and and people revolting against him because it had just happened down in Haiti. And our founding fathers were like, F that. We don't want that happening here. Mm. That's why they created that, because they were trying to assuage the fears of, you know, wealthy white men who owned other human beings and wanted to keep the, the, you know, the upper hand in that scenario. Right. So that's where it comes from. People Mm. don't talk about that, Mm -mm. but that's where the whole Second Amendment BS begins, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I'm not far from where the Battle of Ridgefield, which was a very famous Benedict Arnold was a hero then, you know, the, you're right, they were using muskets. I got guys who stop by a property all the time and dig out like they're like, can we look in your land for old flintlock muskets, yeah. or, you know, right. but it's like, yeah, modern, you know, weaponry has no place, you know, it, it turns the whole world into a war zone, which is what we're seeing. Which is also by design. Yeah, and when you have a weapon that is so scary and so intimidating that an entire police force armed to the teeth is afraid to confront it, you have a problem. You know what I mean? That's clearly a problem. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Um, but we're going to pick up on the gun issue and sort of pivot because we have a new speaker of the House, MAGA Mike Johnson, who, by the way, I believe has an A-plus rating from the NRA and an F on guns from, you know, reasonable people who are sane and, and in the have the collective possession of more than one firing synapse. We... We went through all of this nonsense, 15 votes to get Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. And then I don't even know how long it was where he was speaker. And then it, they, they oust him. Then we have this entire show circus where it's like it's going to be Steve Scalise and then it's going to be Jim Jordan and then it's going to be Tom Emmer. And at the end of the day, who do they end up with? Um, let's see. But let's he is he's a Christian nationalist. He's anti-woman, anti-choice, forced birth, homophobic and the architect of Donald Trump's coup plan. What the hell are your thoughts on that? No, it's it's the worst case scenario. You know, and I, you know, he's what I always heard was that like a slick looking guy with some some rhetorical discipline would get in charge. Because you know, I always tell the benefit with Trump is that he's such a loose cannon. He can't help himself. You know, he's just a moron and he can't help like that to the world every time he opens his mouth. Guys like this that are a little slick and have their Oliver people's glasses on and know how to, you know, wear a suit properly can do a lot of damage to this country. And this guy, as others have said, you know, he's Jim Jordan in a brother's suit, right? You know, he looks like he's a moderate, let's get back to work guy. And he's whacked. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's crazy. Like you, you know, I've 
we're in the some of the same group chats or whatever. So I've been reading some of the read. You know, you know, he's a run talk show host in Louisiana before he ran for the state legislator there and legislature. And you know, he basically a woman's place is in the home, right? He said on the dais uh, on the floor of the Congress that every woman should birth, you know, an able-bodied worker during their life. Like, and he wasn't saying it as a joke, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Yep. You know, so he wants to arrest doctors that perform a, that save a woman's life. Like, I, I think he's, you know, might have seen, I did a car rant yesterday. I hadn't done one in a long time, but I was just like, it's none of business. You know, it's absolutely none of our business. And it's another issue that they use like gun control. They use it as a way, right? Because it has a deep seated visceral appeal to the kind of people that white conservative Christianity appeal that vote Republicans because they're in the suburbs. They're like, I'm a good person. I go to my kid's soccer game. I have guns. But yeah, I believe, you know, a 10 year old should have an abortion without parental consent, consent or whatever kind of like, did you see Republican convention in 2020? You know, they had that they had some whack job come out and talk about how Democrats, you know, they were doing so many abortions that they were piling up the body oh, parts. God. Yeah, yeah. It was just like this insane rhetoric. It it fuels the same sort of fear, and you have these very venal white men that that know that they can use that to exploit the poor people that are under their charge. You know, that's essentially what Republican politics are all about: is not letting the people that they're governing who's really screwing them over and the easiest way to do that is with religion and race-based fear mm -hmm. you know and that goes back you can read how the people's history of the united states you know that was the original gig the wealthy industrialists and landowners when they started bringing over indentured servants were like hey if the indentured servants you know the poor irish that are coming here if they get in touch you know with the african-american they stole and are enslaving and figure out who's really screwing them over you know, we're, we're outnumbered back to the Patrick Henry fears, right? Mm -hmm. So what they figured out was if we can make, you know, the poor whites hate the blacks or the indigenous people or sort your favorite, you know, demographic group that helped build this country, including Chinese Americans who built the railroads. And, you know, if we can make, if we can make that the battle and have them not look at us, we we got it made and the model continues to this day and it's never been sort of in a greater effect or more uh potent now because now it's billionaire one percenters that you don't have a chance of kept catching up to you know back when it was just andrew carnegie you know or, or the card you know the the coal mine or whatever the railroads it wasn't as big a you know it the, the disparity wasn't what it is now like a nuclear powered you know, you're you're the guy working for Jeff Bezos in a fulfillment center. You're not throwing off your masters. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. not getting to that point. Right. And a, and a huge chunk of this, too, is we're going back to like this idea of people being stupid, keeping them uneducated so that they're like, hold on. You mean to tell me that a baby can be born, it's perfectly healthy. And then nine months later, the mom can abort it. It's like, that's terrible. And it's like, nope, that's that's murder because we have laws about that. That's actually murder. That's not happening. They're not piling up babies like that's not happening. And MAGA Mike. Um, he was also, there's a clip that went viral yesterday where he was like, so can a woman, so at what point can you, would you say no to with abortion? Can a woman, you know, have a perfectly healthy baby and then decide to abort it? And it's like, this is, he's using a congressional committee to ask a question. That, and then the doctor kept saying, I'm a medical doctor. We have laws for that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about abortion care and there's no, every case is different. And she's using logic and he's like, well, I'm sorry. So you're telling me that a 16 year old can get in a car crash and dad can be mad and they could be like, I want to abort her. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. It's not exactly what he said, but still, this is where we're at. And the stupid people, because that's by design too, are getting inundated. And this is the other piece to what you were talking about in the olden days. They didn't have 24 hour a day, seven day a week access to these messages. And now it's like this constant stream of this tapping away, this like banging away at the, the brains of people nonstop. And these messages are like poking and prodding and they're getting mad. And then you end up with a guy who kills a woman because she has a pride flag. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is where we're at. And it's also, again, by design. And now we have someone like that in charge to in second in line to the presidency. He, by the way, claims is illegitimate. And it's 100%. insane. It's right, insane. right. And, 
Exactly. And if 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 you know if the numbers stay how they are in Congress, he'll be the presiding over President Biden's re-election victory next year. And he's already shown us once that he's not willing to do that. So who's gonna stop him? He he won't. You know, we all know he's gonna be like, no, I'm saying this is illegitimate. You know, Trump is president, and we're gonna have you know, a congressional crisis, unlike anything we've faced as a nation. And they're really good at that. They're really good at these like crises we've never faced before. I mean, I did this one video about all their firsts, you know, I mean, it's like the first president to be impeached twice, the first president to refuse a peaceful transfer of power, like first president not to go to inauguration, first president to plot a coup, first president to be indicted, second, third and fourth president to be indicted. Like, I mean, they're good at these, these unprecedented crises. And we are not as good at responding to them because we don't have any kind of like you know, roadmap because we've never been there before, but they seem to thrive in that space. But speaking of an illegitimate president, um, let's just quickly just touch on Trump because you know Trump, you worked on The Apprentice, um, you know what the charade is. You talk about this whole, this false thing that, you know, was created in this show, The Apprentice, and this court case in New York, really to me, I I, I think of it as um, do not, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain moment, because every single day what we see him doing is going out in front of cameras. I don't believe he needs to be at that trial, and he's going anyway, so that he can do his accordion hands, you know, Orwellian, do not, that's what you see back there is do not believe what you see back there believe me and he does it every single day and my I, my thought on this is you know better than anyone because this lie this lie that has already been proven and because he's been found liable is the lie the mothership of lies it's the lie on which all the other lies about him rely without this lie that he's this self-made billionaire genius real estate savant without that the whole house of cards crumbles but you know that it's it's a facade. It's a show. It's it's not real. Yeah, it's it's always been a show. But it's 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 his origin story, right? Mm-hmm. It's the cares about the most. He's facing obviously much more serious things that he yeah. could go to prison for, and yeah. he could care less. He never even comments on him. Jack Smith is probably has him dead to rights at this mm-hmm. point. You know what I mean? He's gonna be in a basement in Levin Levin. <laughs> he's not careful, you yeah. know, and he's all he's worried about is what somebody said about the value of his crappy condo <laughs> on top of Tower. You know, right. so much right. that he'll show up and freak out in court like he did yesterday. He stormed out. Yeah. I saw what you said. He does rip poop. I don't know <laughs> if we can put on here. You know I what I mean? I saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him do it on the Apprentice set. You know, that was all in a right when they started filming the apprentice i worked on the celebrity apprentice just so your viewers know i dealt with talent in live and that was sort of my little niche in the industry if you weren't famous i wasn't showing up you know <laughs> so i didn't work on the part that was just joe Schmidt, illinois who wants to work for trump but my buddies did they were the crew and when they showed up with mark burnett to begin filming they went into the trump and the furniture and stuff was so threadbare that they were like, nobody's going to believe this guy's a billionaire. So they had to go out and rent furniture. And when we did Celebrity Apprentice, because Trump didn't have a paycheck, he had blown his father's inheritance at that point. Mm-hmm. At that point, strong arm is his strong armed his siblings into signing off, you know, signing it over to him, and they sold his dad's company for. 786 million or something ridiculous that then Trump blew in in short order. If they had just held on to that, you know, the equities and the dividends off of the empire that his dad built off of his own malfeasance, and that's another story. But if he had just had this acumen to not sell the most valuable asset that he had just been bequeathed, he Mm -hmm. would have been set for life. He sold it, blew them, was essentially broke when NBC gave him the gig through Mark Burnett, who, at first, by the way, tried to sell that show in first. He wanted to do it about the Mir space station with oligarchs, and they put him on to Trump. They're like, no, you should do a real estate show with our guy Trump. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how it went down. There's that's a great deep dive in The New Yorker. Your your viewers can listen to can read uh, by Patrick. I can't think of his last name, but do Patrick New Yorker Trump and you'll find it on a Google. But anyway, so, you know, NBC big break again. That's why he brought in his kids. You know, his kids, if you're a billionaire's kid, you should be like sailing catamarans, you know, yeah. off an end. Get, you should be like in a Formula One. You should be doing dressage, horseback riding. You know, <laughs> right. 
is my next neighbor. His daughter has a big horse farm and rides horses because her dad's a billionaire. She's mm -hmm. not on a game show on Sunday mm -hmm. night on NBC, standing next to her dad, judging whether Little John or Meatloaf <laughs> has a better pop-up shop in the square, right? <laughs> but that, right? A real billionaire's kids don't do that, you know? Yeah, great point. Give me a million bucks. I'm not even doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna enjoy yeah. my life, but <laughs> it's all about the image, right? is what he was selling from the 80s. His buildings were crap. His casinos were crap. They had the worst food in Atlantic City, the worst pants on their slot machines. He would bus in women from Ohio and Kentucky and all these elderly citizens. He was one of the guys who innovated. People don't remember that, but he mm. would send all these buses out to like rural Pennsylvania and he'd give them a free ride to Atlantic City put their slot machines, you know, their social security checks into his slot machines and he'd send them home without so much as a free lunch. That's the man he was. And when he'd walk through the casino floor, this was before my time, Louis CK told me this, he would have the security next to him to make sure nobody talked to him. Because, you know, these people would be like, hey, it's Donald Trump on the TV, you yeah. know, let me go sigh. And he'd be like, get away from me. Yeah, the other thing, he despises the people who supports him. He exactly. wants to be a left wing. He had Billary at his wedding to Melania. Like he cares. He wants to be loved by the left, you know, and by the left, I mean like Hollywood elites and anyone you know, you mm -hmm. know, the, he would love for Madonna to invite him over for dinner or something. Oh, that just that reminds me of this whole, like you said, this whole like image that he was crafting. And there's a Madonna story back when he was calling, um, you know, page sixes and stuff and pretending to be his own publicist. It was John Barron and David Dennison. And I forget the other yeah. one. Yeah. So he had all these fake P PR people. His, that... his Valtrex. He would call in his Valtrex under a fake name, too. So we would I call him Captain Valtrex. Yeah. And <laughs> That's he would hysterical. Make up yeah 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 yes yeah, so we had a madonna story that he called you know whoever it was that was writing this that he wanted to pitch this like salacious story to about how he basically had to put off madonna she wanted to date him and he had to say oh no 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 you know women were throwing myself and he barely disguised his voice at all everyone knew who they were talking to i mean he's such an idiot and such so like so lacking in self-awareness that he's if he changes his voice just it's one little active he's like no one will ever know it's me or you know all the same patterns are there so he's yeah he's like yeah and madonna it was a real problem because she just you know really wanted to date me and I, I couldn't date her i would think i was seeing somebody at the time or right bullshit but he wanted to put that story out there because it was a whole you know crafted reality and it was not true in any way shape or form but but mark burnett <laughs> really that was it like once he picked up the thread on this fallacy it's it's been it's the, we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube no and it was incredibly effective and you know and mind you when i started doing the gig it was a joke you know i told you some of the other shows i did i would do the you know super bowl half show and the tonys and the kennedy center on rock and roll hall of fame like a-list stuff in new york that's what i dealt with it was a cushy f i would tour with rock bands you know when i wasn't doing shows and a friend of mine got the gig as like the you know she was like the production court she was in charge of getting in all the talent wranglers for the season finale of the first celebrity apprentice thing and she was a colleague she had mba and other things so i said uh she, you know, she sent an email out to our little group and said, hey, I got this gig. It's a big gig for me, a season finale of Celebrity Apprentice at Rockefeller Center. You know, I'll pay you. You'll get to go to the after party. Would you do me a favor? Because it was the first big gig and she wanted to really hit it out of the park. So, you know, she called in the sort of A-team of talent wranglers. And I was like, oh, that show. Like, I want to see if Amarosa is a real person. Like, <laughs> uh, sure, I'll come and do it, you know? Yeah. And that was the first season we shot it in studio which is where they shoot SNL. That's where we had the fake boardroom and all that BS, you're hired, you're fired kind of thing. And it was Morgan and Amarosa were battling. And uh, that's, you know, I'd already done beauty pageants in the 90s, but that's I sort of was reacquainted with him. And he had denigrated, you know, this is when his Adderall addictions were apparent and all this other crazy stuff. You know, I got to see, he couldn't really read a three syllable word and he would freak out on set. So the whole thing, wasn't just an illusion. Like it was hard to get a coherent take from him. You know, he wouldn't show up a lot of days, you know, when they were taping the, you know, I did the finale, right. But like they taped for four weeks before we shot that, you know, he was just a mess. And in the beginning, 
would take care of the celebrities that were involved, friends of mine, you know, Cindy Lauper, people like that. And then they assigned me to Ivanka. When when Ivanka pushed out George Ross or whatever, he had an old man with white hair who was his sidekick, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course, yeah. Right, and, and he was beloved, so Trump got jealous and kicked him out and made Ivanka like his right-hand man or woman. Yeah. <laughs> and they assigned me to Ivanka because I was the guy in live TV who handled Madonna, who handled Michael Jackson or the host of the whoever it was, the more difficult assignments, they wanted kind of a diplomatic person to do it. Cause I used to be diplomatic <laughs> you know, and keep my mouth shut, you know? So I was the Ivanka handler, which was a nightmare. She was like the only one to get a trailer. I would have to show up five hours early to let her glam squad in. I was there through the whole like romance with Jared. They broke up. Wendy Dang Murdoch told them to get back together. Then the next season they were getting married and those kids were running the show. Here's another point up. I know I'm long-winded. I apologize. I, no, no. I speak in parallel. I love this. But, so do I. They were running the show. Trump, when he, here's what I, Trump wants to, music to play when he walks in the room. He wants to get high and he wants to hit on women, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about what can feed his narcissism in the moment. You saw that yesterday in court when he storms out and then gets ordered back. It's all about his ego getting attacked in real time. There's no self-discipline or long game with him. Jared and Ivanka clearly wanted the world, right? And they were the ones behind the scenes sort of whispering in his ear about things. She was the one who would talk him down. The breathy, cooey, sibilant s porn star voice that she puts on is complete BS. Her real voice is like two octaves lower in real life and she curses like a sailor, but she oh. puts on breathy thing because it turns him on and oh, she knows God. how to manipulate him in a soft sexual way. It's it's eerie. I've seen him lap dances. That's not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you need brain bleach. Oh my God. No. And knowing that he well, fantasized about her in public in front of people at the White House to the point where John Kelly had to say, that's your daughter. Like, and that you, she played that up. I want to puke. Oh my God. She totally played it up. And anybody who spent more than 10 minutes around Trump knows that he works that into a conversation. I mean, look at her sweet piece of ass, right? Imagine oh. that. No, I'm, I'm not, not even kidding. I got buddies who played golf with him and like, I mean, we don't have to, it gets a lot darker. You know, he was a, a frequent buddy of Jeffrey Epstein and visitor to his townhouse. And he did all horrible things that I unfortunately know about. And I know some of the people he did them to, not oh, the shit. public ones. And I can't tell their story because it's not my story to tell, you know, yeah. and, but, uh, you know, and the E. Jean Carroll tells you everything about him, that story right there, that he would attack a woman in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman, and then just walk back to his office or walk out to his security team and get in his S. That's the kind of stuff he did with impunity his whole life. Right. Mm. So, and I'll, I'll shut up, but to get to my point, the reason, I did this show as a joke in the beginning, and Trump was a joke. He wasn't running for president at this time. You know, he did the Obama's birth certificate thing, and I think that's when he started to kind of lose it with NBC or whatever. But there was no, I'm running for president on the horizon when I worked for him. When he announced, I said to my colleagues, we have to, like, come out and tell everybody what we saw because can't get anywhere near the presidency and my colleagues were like dude we signed an nda we'll never work again he's not going to get elected like i can't go against the dga i can't risk because mark burnett told everybody if they started to talk he would sue them mm. right and that kind of went through the industry and shut everybody up a friend of mine was working on hillary's campaign she goes no i see you're you know you're spilling the beans on facebook and online and stuff would you be willing to talk to hillary's campaign i was like heck yeah you know, so I talked to her campaign people. I told them what I knew. I talked to People Magazine. They were going to do a big piece on it, and somehow it got and killed. I think Hillary's campaign kind of felt like they were going to win anyway. Yeah. And when I spoke with them, was right before Access Hollywood broke. Hmm. So I talked to them, and then like a few days later, the Access Hollywood story broke, and I think they thought, oh, well, he'll never get elected now. You know, of course, they didn't know what James Comey had up his sleeve a couple weeks later. Yeah. They didn't, I don't think they took my warning seriously. And, you know, we all know what happened in November mm -hmm. of 16. And that's when I left my career. I'm done. I said, I got to just talk about this guy any chance I get, because people need to know this. And that's when I went into stand up because 
that was really my only avenue to speak out. I could get up on a comedy stage and be like, here's who this guy really is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because in the beginning, media was kind of going along with it. Yep. Right? They saw his reality. And I'll shut up. But I said to my colleague, they said, I'll never work again. Like if we break an NDA. I said, if this guy's president, you're not going to work again anyway. Because he's going to ruin this country. And what happened? He mishandled COVID and we shut down for a year and a half. There wasn't any production or anything for a long time because, you know, not that COVID was his fault, but all he thought about was himself when it happened. And that's not what you want in a leader. You want somebody who thinks about other people all the time, like Biden, you know? Right. And it was it was about himself, but also what can you do for me to the point where it was like, are you a nice governor or not a nice governor? And like, and where you live in New York, you know, I've driven through parts of New York State where I'm like, holy crap, this is so Trumpy. This is so red. Where I live is very, very red. Um, but overall, the state voted Biden and he was willing to hurt people in blue states. And I'm thinking as I'm driving through your state, I'm like, you know, buddy, with the Constitution on the side of your house and the Trump flag and the Confederate flag, he was going to keep you from having access to like life-saving COVID medicine and, and, and all the things and the supplies because you live in a state that voted for Biden. And he's so like endlessly like narcissistic that he he wants to make all of you punished, punish all of you, all of you suffer. And I'm, and he's going to punish his own people. Again, like you said, you know, he so often he despises the people who actually support him the most, but it's, he's grossed out by them. But he also wants to inflict punishment on them if it makes him feel better about it himself yeah and that's the worst thing i mean that's the first thing he did right one of the he knew like new york state didn't vote for him one of the first things he did was take away the pre-tax credit that people got on our on our thing so in effect we got our house in like july of 16 and by the next year the property taxes had doubled mm. to almost like 20 grand a year he paid 700 grand by the way or no seven hundred dollars in property taxes on Bedminster in 2020 on 113 acres prime New Jersey real estate. Mm -hmm. He paid seven hundred dollars because he keeps 12 goats and uses a loophole, a farming yeah. loophole, you know, well, on the estate. Sorry. And now it's a graveyard. <laughs> so right. that and one now, exactly. Now it's a graveyard. It, yeah. it, I mean, it's just the scamming, but uh, to your point of punishing, that's instantly what he did. He was like, all right, you guys didn't vote for me. I'm going to punish you. And, you know, like you said, 60% of the people in New York State are Trumpers now. You know, the, the idiots that are voting for him in Putnam County paying twice for their ranch house, you know, in property taxes and their quarter of an acre because of this clown, you know, and and he can still use that to his effect, right? Because he can say the Democrats raise your taxes. You know, vote from that's why Florida was so hot for a minute before people realized what a clown DeSantis was. All the kind of towny folks I knew in New York, they all wanted to move to Florida. You know, mm -hmm. it was the new promised land for for mediocre white suburbanites. Right. And so and it's so much it's really all about the mythology. It's all that that with Ivanka, that he's a family man. This is that mythology or that he's a you know devout Christian. And there's that mythology and that he's America first is there's that maybe he's a patriot, all the all the mythology. And like we said at the beginning of this, it all rests on this one lie where he is very, 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 very worried that the, the mothership of lies will be exposed about him. So he's at court every day, uh, you know, violating his gag order, which. I mean, yeah. what are they going to do next? Like, seriously, you got to do something more than a $10,000 fine to the guy to make him shut up. But like, it's, it's a circus. But okay, we've, we've covered all the subjects I wanted to cover. Thank you for that. It was an excellent conversation. But now we do the icing on top of the, you know, meat cake, which doesn't make any sense. But let's call the conversation the meat. And then this is icing, which doesn't go on meat. But I mean, you know, eat how you eat. And who am I to judge? Okay, so that brings us to the totally random question segment of the Are You I Think Kidding Me podcast. Are you ready, Noel? Yes, I am. Okay. <clears throat> These are very serious questions with massive implications for world peace. Um, number one, do you believe in aliens or ghosts? Both. You do? Yeah, I've seen both. I haven't seen aliens. I did see a UFO when I was in high school in Putnam Valley. And, and in the 80s, my town was known for UFO sightings. They even had a research center there because there's a lake called Lake Oscawana and these like things like when you see a video of a ufo that's what it looked like a big circle with lights all around it i saw one one night with a bunch of other dudes being a vietnam vet who was not like some hippie liberal type and he was like i don't know what that is so <laughs> I, 
You know, I've seen UFO and I've lived in haunted houses. I, you know, my childhood was spent in Maryland. I moved to New York when I was like 14, 13, 14. But in Maryland, my mom was always living in these old Civil War farmhouses in like that were, you know, that were used as hospitals in some battle. And, you know, I've seen some spooky things. Like if you don't believe in ghosts, go to Gettysburg and stay there at twilight. You know, wait for the sun to go down and start walking around and tell me you don't believe in ghosts. So, yes, I believe in both. That's cool. I I never, I've never, well, I thought maybe I saw something and other people had reported something in town in Lafayette, New Jersey, when I was like 13 or 14 and other people reported it too, but I still don't know what it was. And I did not believe in ghosts until I met my now ex-husband and went to his very old house and uh, saw clear as day, the ghost that his sister had been seeing standing in her doorway from when she was little. And I described what I saw. And she said, that is exactly who this is. And a psychic confirmed his name and that he was, he liked that doorway and all the things. And I was like, Okay, so now I'm a believer. And it's pretty naive of us to think that there aren't aliens, that it's just us out there, like floating around like, with intelligent life. Like, it's, like, that's so American of us, isn't it? I know, exactly. Yeah. There's something out there. You yeah, know what I mean? I don't, yeah. Yeah, there's probably Earth twos. I mean, honestly, we don't know what's out there. Um, okay. 100%. Yeah. All right. We've established that we both believe in aliens and ghosts. Okay. Number two, if you could, this is more profound. If you could uninvent something, what would it be and why? Automobile engine. Really? A combustible engine. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have cars. I, I think, you know, ultimately, beyond the political stuff and the guns and the wars, the, the you know, heating this planet is destroying us faster than anything else. We haven't even talked about Acapulco, it, not just you and I, but any of us in the last 24 hours. And that city got hit with one of the world's most powerful storms, you know, with 12 hours notice, a hurricane in Mexico, making it, you know, the largest storm to ever hit Mexico or the most powerful, whatever the nomenclature is. Either way, it was a nightmare scenario. And that stuff, as we've seen this summer, is just continuing. It's 80 degrees outside today. It's the end of October. In my mind, you know, you look at all the railroads and all the pollution and all the cars and how we paved this planet right? To make it easier to get from point A to B, you know, we fenced in nature and wildlife, right? We destroyed vast swaths of it, you know, to make this convenience We've been around for a hundred years and change, right? It's a relatively short timeline. We've even had this technology and the planet is on on the brink right now because of it. Not to mention all the wars that have been fought over what? Oil, Oil. right? Over keeping control of a finite resource, right? Sooner or later, it's going to run out, right? That only so many dinosaur bones and old leaves or whatever the heck crude <laughs> oil comes from, right? There's yeah. only so much of it, right? And you solar power, wind power, all these other high-tech things and protect nature. So if I could wipe anything out the diesel engine or I you know it. they're not combustible engine whatever yeah i love it i wouldn't have ever thought of that and but i love the way you just explained that because it makes so much sense and and that, that there's all this pushback against the biden administration you know turn, trying to transition the auto industry to a green and sustainable industry and there's like no you can't do that that's not american and it's like this is why they're striking it's like no that's not why they're striking but that's what they're doing anyway because of course they control the narrative and if they can lie and say that engines and diesel and oil is real good when we're really just handing power to the russians and the saudis essentially and then got jared back in the mix over there with this two billion dollar paycheck with his bone sawing bff um but i love the implications of going back in time and uninventing what you just, the, the, the combustible engine. I'm going to remember that actually, because if I ever go back in time, that's what I'm going to do. Um, all right. Third yeah, question. Look, the house I live in was built in 1853. There was no cars. You yeah. had a horse barn out back and you used a horse to get to the next town or whatever. I'd love to wake up in a world where that was, you know, I got in a horse and buggy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And like there wasn't cars on the road too. Like I know I could go to Pennsylvania Dutch country and have that experience, but it wouldn't be the same, you know? Yeah, I once learned that I'm only 50 minutes from the city. And I once learned that by, by coach, it was like a, a day and a half long journey to get to get from my town to Manhattan, which is, I mean, yeah. crazy. But then in, back then it was, in, you know, an all day affair to get from lower Manhattan to, you know, the Dakota. Right. But, I, but I digress. Okay, last and final question. How long would you last in a zombie apocalypse? I'd last a long time, I think. I'm pretty wily, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm one of those guys, I'm little, so you'd probably <laughs> like count me out, but I'm vicious and tenacious, you know? My favorite, you know, both of my grandfathers served in the Foreign Service. My grandfather was OSS in World War II, and 
a big diplomat kind of guy for his whole career. And my other grandfather was NSA analyst who worked in the Mideast most of his career. So, you know, there's strategy involved in surviving a zombie apocalypse, you know. And and is The Walking Dead about, isn't that zombies? I think so. I've never seen it, but I think so. I never have either. Okay, I yeah. met that guy at CNN Heroes who was one of the stars from Twitter and came up to me. He's like, are you Noel Kassler from oh, Twitter? So cool. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working behind the scenes. I'm like, yeah, you're one of the famous people here. How do you know who I am? And he's that's talking awesome. to me. Yeah, and I'm like, what's your show again? And he's like, it's The Walking Dead, bro. It's a hit show. <laughs> Seriously famous <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm lucky I saw Game of Thrones. I'm not I'm not the that's biggest fan. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's a good place to end the conversation. But but first, before we do, uh, you've got your own podcast, obviously, the Noel Castler podcast. What else are you working on? Yeah, absolutely. Noel Castler podcast. And I have Noel's notes on Substack, which I'm proud of because I can do deeper i know you're putting out on there too that's it's yeah. a, it's refreshing after the limited characters of twitter and the rapid back and forth where you can never really stretch out a point without somebody jumping in with a contrary thing or a troll it's nice to say let me just breathe for a minute put my thoughts down on paper in 1500 words take my time with it and really put some work into these points i'm trying to make about these difficult things which I applaud you for trying to explain to people every day and to keep this dialogue going because it's important, right? Because, you know, I make this analogy, the right-wing ecosphere and the White House knew this. It's part of the reason we were all invited there, right? Because they're not great at messaging because the right-wing is like Metallica, right? <laughs> they got a stadium sound set. And the left-wing is like three people with acoustic instruments <laughs> in a church parking lot, you know? Like, do you want to hear about, you know, like, Job right and they're like everything will kill you you know like it's hard to compete with that right but if you can draw people in emotionally with the laughter with what you know your tweets do and they get shared and then you can steer them towards something where they can really think about it you know and then go do their own research so to speak not in a you know crazy football or anti-vaxxer way but you know <laughs> in a smarter way that's Noel's notes on on Substack. I'm proud of that. Noel Castle podcast I put out when I feel like it. <laughs> I, I did it every week, like two and a half years. And the news is too bad now, you know, that I, I did one a couple of weeks ago. I'll do one this weekend, but I do it when I can. But folks can find me. They know who I am. I'm famous. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I'm going to forever remember the Metallica reference because that is that is a perfect, perfect analogy. And I am definitely not a three string, you know, like whatever group of guitar or acoustic guitars. Okay. I'm more of the um, I'm, I guess I'm more of the 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 recorder played by a, a hangry kindergartner, like in the background. So I'm like, like that's sort of me um, because I don't believe that when they go low, we have to go high all the time. I think sometimes you got to meet them in where the fight is. And sometimes that's down in the mud. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to be dirty like the pig likes it to be, but I just, I don't believe that we always have to take the high road necessarily. And we do have to meet the moment. But to that point, you said, you know, earlier on that when, you know, you decided that you were going to just say, I'm going to fuck it. I'm not going to have a career. I'm going to speak up. I need to speak up. This is too important. That is exactly what you're continuing to do now. And these conversations are so important to that end. And we do have to all keep doing that because it's not hyperbole to say that democracy is at stake. I mean, look who the speaker of the house is now second in line to the president. So the more we talk about the truth, the reality, not only of Trump, but of Mike, Mike Johnson and uh, of MAGA and of the Republican Party as a whole, because yesterday's vote was unanimous, the better off we'll all be because the dismantlement of the truth and facts is Orwellian, but that is the goal. So we can't let that happen. And I appreciate you for doing that all the time. Thank you. And we have a year, a year from now when we're speaking, we're going to be within a week of the election. <laughs> right? A year. A year goes by quick as we, you know, yep. even years as long as the ones we've been having recently. So keep up the good work, Joe. And thanks for having me, man. What a thanks. blast. Thanks for coming on. This what flew by. I know I always keep everybody far too long and then I'm always apologizing for keeping them far too long. But when the conversations are this good, it's like, I don't know, there's no place to end this right now because it was just, I wouldn't have gotten to my your Metallica. I never laughed harder, honestly. Um, Trey Crowder had me close when he described how he would do in a zombie apocalypse, but your uh, Metallica comment was probably the funniest one I've had yet. What about my master comment? What? Wait, you cut out. What did you say? You were what? Master Bates. Remember we're in the White House meeting? Okay, you you made me 
almost wet my pants in laughter in the White House. And I was like, while very professional people were saying very professional things, you were sitting next to me and you were getting me in so much trouble because I was like, I'm very professional. Look at me, I'm wearing a suit jacket. And you were like, masturbates. And I couldn't stop laughing. So thanks for that. Thanks for that a lot. I'm sure that's why I haven't been back. Uh, exactly. Sorry. Well, they didn't. But just for reference for your listeners, a guy named Andrew Bates, who's one of the White House people, came in and to give another talk to us and leaned to Joe. And I said, it's Master Bates. <laughs> that was all it you took. can take me to the White House. Yeah, I'm still going to be a kid, a comedian. Oh, my God. Same. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I it's infamous now, but I did the picture where I was in the White House outside of the vice president husband's office and the Capitol. Uh, the, uh, uh, what's it called? The big the big the big erection, the uh the uh the washington uh, monument thank you that one holy shit i did the you know famous like oh look i'm holding the chair did the thing and, like someone put it on social media uh why but thanks a lot and yeah i that was i was i'm a 12 year old boy oh, many, many times so masturbates was like the perfect joke to make in the white house as far as i'm concerned thank you for that even though i was mortified but <laughs> anyway on that note, that does it for this episode of the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast with JoJo from Jersey. Thank you so much, Noel Kassler. This was an incredible conversation. I'm really grateful for you. And uh, yeah, that, that about does it. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Keep up the good work. You too. And uh, I'll see everybody else next week. Are You Effing Kidding Me is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com. Mm-hmm.